Hello and welcome to the Seattle interview series. I have Jen Mueller with me. This is the 11th installment. I want to thank you for coming on. I mean, I'm sure, you know, uh, I think we talked about a little bit. Things are, we're getting a little excited for what's coming up here. How are you, how are you doing? Yeah, it's, um, it's exciting. I am thrilled that I have not had to cross out any dates in the baseball season. I waited a very long time before I wrote those into my calendar. And uh, I'm excited that they have all stayed in place so far. Shoot. Yeah, just thinking about it, you know, uh, opening day on the first, it's uh, like we said, things are kind of we're getting into a little bit of a home stretch here, I guess, without baseball. Um, and even even uh, the Sounders coming back to town, um, being able to play in front of fans, uh, not really sure about numbers yet, but, you know, things are things are getting there. So uh, to get into our subject matter for today, I'm going to start with sort of early career. What inspired you to start? officiating flag football in college and then to continue to officiate high school sports all-american honors as official in college third female in history of the award to be recognized what what made you say hey i want to go out and do this it was a little bit of an accident but i was an athlete all through high school i was looking for a way to stay competitive and stay around sports and i knew that i wanted to try to get into sports broadcasting right um so when they came around our dorm rooms as a freshman they had a group from the intramural department and they said hey look we're looking for officials so if you put your name on the list we'll call you when it's ready we'll do the training we'll give you the uniform you know it's a great way to make money I thought I was signing up to be a basketball official because that was really the sport that I had spent most time playing. That was kind of my sport, right? So I thought I was signing up for basketball. Well, football season came first and what they were really looking for was officials for football. So they called me and I'm like, yeah, I don't know that I want to do this. But if you've ever worked in an athletic department, you know that you have to have a certain number of officials. And so they're pretty good salespeople. And they said, look, just come out and try it. You know, we'll teach you the rule book. We'll, we'll give you the uniform and everything. And if you don't like it, you can quit. And I thought, okay, well, that's easy enough, right? If, it's, if I'm terrible, I'll just quit. You know, no harm, no foul. It, the first week on the field for me was challenging um, in any number of different ways. And then there was a night that it just started to click. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to quit. First of all, I don't quit things. So even contemplating that for the first couple of days was not really something that I enjoyed because yeah. um, I just don't quit things. And then it was about day five being on the field where I started to think, you know what? This is pretty fun. And I grew up in Texas. So football at every level in Texas oh, yeah. is huge. So once you get into this, you work with high level people that are always trying to get better. We traveled around the South doing tournaments. Officials get graded just like teams and things. It was it, that competitive side of me was fulfilled and it helped me to establish, I knew what I was talking about in football for when I ultimately went into sports broadcasting, because I couldn't just tell somebody that I was interested in it. Being able to say, look, I know the rule book. I know how this works. I've been on the field. That's gone a long way in establishing some credibility. Do you ever miss officiating nowadays? Or it's like, hey, that's a past chapter of my life. I, I've left it where it is now. I'm thankful for what it taught me, but that's, that stays back there. Yeah, you know, I do miss being on the field. And that's one of the reasons I love sidelines is because you're part of the action and you're right there. Um, I do miss it. 
I do recognize how crazy it is. I mean, you don't get paid very much money, not in Washington state anyway. In Texas, you got paid a whole heck of a lot more money to officiate football games. But essentially, I would choose to spend my free evenings and afternoons and weekends getting yelled at by a bunch of people in the stands and not really getting paid much for it. So there's a little bit of it that's like, yeah, I can do without some of the craziness and and the crazy fans. The other part is I do like that part of the game, maybe one day. Um, but right now there's just too much going on that uh, makes it nearly impossible to get out onto a field. Yeah, I guess you'd say the negatives outweigh the positives there, but definitely, definitely an interesting experience to learn from, you know, now that you think about, now that I think about it. Um, speaking about Texas, you know, how did you get your start with Texas Cable News in Dallas? And uh, what was the segue to that? Was it, hey, I've learned the rule book, I want to sort of get into speaking on these things or how did that come to be? Yeah. So my first job at Texas cable news was offered to me before I graduated from college. And it was really, when I look back, it was a result of networking. I had worked at a different TV station in town as an intern. I'd done a good job. I had a friend who knew somebody and it just, it's kind of the way that you get jobs anyway. Right. Um, And so they offered me the job as an associate sports producer. I really didn't want to be a producer. I wanted to be on camera, but I figured a full-time gig with benefits and pay before I graduated was a good idea. Not bad, yeah. An associate sports producer at that time, my job was to book guests. So this was before you had shows like Pardon the Interruption or Around the Horn, we were doing essentially sports talk radio on TV every night. So we would bring guests in and interview them live and do segments like we see all the time these days on ESPN and Fox News. Well, they didn't or Fox Sports. They didn't do that 20 years ago. So it was my job to find guests, whether it was former athletes, current athletes, coaches, um, and bring them into the studio. And then the producer of the show would craft the questions and the themes. And then the host of the show would actually do the interviews. So when we would get a couple of guests in, um, we had a WWE wrestler come in um, who had done some training and I would go out and sometimes shoot stories to help set up that interview mm-hmm. and that guest. So that was kind of, hey, look, let me go out and show you that I can be a reporter. Maybe I could be on air at some point in time. So that's how I kept furthering that part of what I wanted to do. But I will say this, without that job and without understanding what went into producing a show, I would never be where I am today. Like I literally, the job that I applied for that I still have at Root Sports is producer. I am a reporter, but I am also a producer and I produce a massive amount of content and I never would have been considered for that job if I wouldn't have started out producing in the beginning. Interesting to see how that sort of works and how things... I'm sure they have changed so much, you know, from, you know, like I said, 20 years ago to how things are run now. Um, Speaking on Root Sports, I know it was a different name a little bit ago, but, you know, what what goes through your mind when that opportunity to relocate to Seattle and join at the time Northwest Cable News and King TV, what goes through your mind when thinking about that? You're thinking, hey, Seattle, what is this going to be like? You know, I mean, Texas and Seattle, those are even the States, two different things, you know? Yes. Um, 
Yes, I would not, I would not have moved up here on my own. So my ex-husband got a job up here. He was from the area. And so we moved for his job. And at the time I'm thinking it's an adventure. I've lived in Texas long enough. Boy, it's pretty up here. I've never lived in a place that has so many trees and, oh, the weather gets cold and, you know, this will be different and this will be an adventure. And then you realize that it's really hard to pick up and to start someplace when I did not move up here with a job. And so um, it was really a grind. It was harder than when I was in college because I didn't know anybody. So you're trying to network Mm -hmm. and you're trying to figure out, hey, will somebody take a chance on me? Thankfully, Texas Cable News was a sister station of Northwest Cable News. So I had that going for me in that I could get somebody from Texas Cable News to at least talk to somebody about interviewing me, right? Like I I had somebody who could vouch for me, Mm -hmm. so that helped. But if you would have told me 20 plus years ago that I would still be in the Seattle area, I wouldn't have believed you. How would you say, uh, you know, you've got obviously some time here now, what, what would you say your takeaways have been about the area? And I mean, is there any way you can compare the ways, the, the places that you lived at or, you know, uh, I, pardon me, if you're putting it into words, you know, you've had the taste of both. Do you prefer either side or is it, you know, Texas is home still or? Well, I certainly miss Texas. And when I get a chance to go home, I really enjoy being there. But right now I've lived in Seattle long enough that I feel like I'm part of the community. And Seattle's a really tough community to get to be a part of. You know, you don't just live here for a couple of years and feel like it's home. It took a really long time for me to get to a place where I feel like I understood not just the community, but the sports fans and the sports teams. And there's a lot of sports history here. And once you understand what it's like for fans who experienced the 2005 Super Bowl, well, that changes your perspective on the Seahawks, right? And and you can read about it, but when you experience it on one hand, um, and then you kind of watch what happens afterwards, well, now winning the Super Bowl feels a lot better, means a lot more, and, and you just kind of see things happen. You feel the frustration of Mariners baseball fans differently. It's one thing to say they haven't been to the playoffs since 2001. It's another thing to have been here that entire time and been living that alongside the fans. So I don't know if it's a better or worse. It's just different because I've now lived here longer than I ever lived in Texas. At some point in time, I'm sure that I will spend more time in Texas, but for now, this is a good place to call home and a good community to be a part of. I really liked what you mentioned about, you know, experiencing these things with fans, because, you know, some that I always talk about when people ask me, you know, for when they're visiting from here, they go, oh, you know, I want to go to a Seahawks game. There's a lot different. There's a lot of a, it's hard for me to put into words how it feels to be there on a game day compared to me just saying, oh, you know, the atmosphere, it's, 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 you have to experience it. And I really think that's important that you mentioned that, but to get away from Seahawks, I'm going to change hats now because oh. I'm going to talk about our Mariners here. Uh, so the Mariners, what leads to your time with our Seattle baseball club? How does that, how do you get in there? How does that, what opened the door for you with the Mariners? Well, really, it was working at Fox Sports at the time, which is Root Sports. So for people who are trying to figure out how do you get associated with a professional sports team, right? You've got to figure out where your foot is in the door first. So for me, while producing was not the thing that I wanted to do, and that was not my ultimate goal, what being a producer 
at Northwest Cable News and then at King Five allowed me to do was get media access, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the first barriers you have to overcome is how do I even get access and FaceTime with these folks? You can't just show up at a practice. You can't just show up at a press conference unless you've got credentials to do that. So once I had credentials, because I was already working for a media outlet, I showed up all the time. I showed up at every press conference for the Seahawks. I showed up at every practice. Um, it, because it wasn't during baseball season, right? So then you flip it around baseball season, a little harder because my job was actually working at nighttime, but still I'd show up at the ballpark. I would go to games, even though I didn't have to, I would go to press conferences. I was seen, I got to know those people before I ever worked at Fox sports now root sports. Right. And so it made it a little bit easier, but ultimately my ability to show up and keep networking with those people before I was ever a reporter is what helped me get the job at Fox Sports. And then once you work at Fox Sports, it's just by virtue of who do we have the rights to broadcast? At the time, we had the rights to broadcast the Sonics, the Mariners, and Pac. 10. It was Pac-10 football and basketball at the time. And then we did some high school stuff. And so, you know, once you get to a regional sports network, now you've got these opportunities to go out and cover a professional team where you, you don't, you can't just choose to do that on your own, I guess is the better way of saying that. Um, so obviously there's going to be a little different. What does a Mariners game day normally we're not going to take into account you know technically this year because that hasn't started yet or last year what is you know say we're in 2019 what does a game day look like for you and then how different is that from last season um and then maybe you know what you've heard about this season yeah so in a normal year my day would start with reading newspaper clips while i'm having breakfast or reading coffee after i get done working out I would probably go into the office at 10.30 or 11. I have the emails. I've got stories to write. I've got a show to produce and keep on track. You go to the ballpark at about 2.30. Scott Service talks at 3 o'clock-ish. And once Scott Service talks and the clubhouse opens, then you're doing your interviews. Um, You're getting ready for the pregame show. After pregame show, you would have dinner. Brad and Angie and I typically have dinner together during the first inning. You sit in the press box, you watch the game, you take your notes. I do my post-game interviews, post-game show, and then I'm probably home, depending on the length of the game, between 10.30 and 11 o'clock. So on average, I'm working 12-hour days um, in a normal baseball day. Last year, you could not get to the ballpark early. Last year, when games started, everything got done via Zoom. So you had to be available to talk to Scott Service in the afternoon. And if there was a player that they were putting on the feed that day, you could talk to them. But you couldn't really show up to the ballpark much earlier than an hour before the game. So an hour and a half. I was typically going down to games at 5.30 or 6 o'clock, which felt really, really weird. And then you just go home afterwards because we weren't originating post-game shows from the ballpark. And this year, I think it's probably going to be a mix of both. I think to start off, it'll probably be a lot like how we finished last year. And with any luck, fingers crossed, knock on wood, as we get further into the season, hopefully it returns a little bit more to um, broadcasts that originate from the ballpark, but I'm not totally sure where they're going to go with that. You talked a little bit about, you know, working with Brad and Angie, uh, who would you say, if I had to put you on the spot 
and I had to make you pick. Do you have someone that you have the most fun working with, or is it just, you know, a good sort of uh, environment that you guys all have, and it's just, you know, really uh, enjoyable to be there? It is really enjoyable to be there. I am the newcomer to the group and I've worked there almost 15 years. So Brad and Angie have been together even longer than that. And the three of us have worked together for almost 15 years. That's pretty unheard of around sports. You very rarely would keep the core group together that long. You know, something would have happened along the way where somebody needed to leave or that there was a change made. So I'm really fortunate to have the same colleagues and we just have a blast and their personalities are entirely different and our conversations are wild and it have they have nothing to do with sports it's generally just what's going on in their lives and brad's coaching his daughters and angie's coaching her sons and um we just have a good time together and it does help because we do spend more time together than we do with our own families during the course of the season and there's going to be times where we need to pick each other up whether it is scheduling wise and we need to make a switch or we need somebody to cover or it's just, you know, knowing that, look, I, I am burnt out and I cannot possibly, I cannot possibly do another two interviews today. Can you take one of these for me? Or could you come up with a story idea? It's, um, it's that sort of thing that helps you get through a long season that, and a lot of laughs and, uh, enjoying the people that you work with all the way around. So would you say, you know, being able to have those people who are able to pick you up, would you say that they help you get through a normal season because obviously last year 60 games a lot different you know 162 yeah. much different you know yeah at some point in that long season you kind of hit a wall um, or maybe multiple walls you hit multiple walls because just like just like baseball right it goes in cycles and there's certain things you know the, the beginning of the season it's really fun it feels good you know you get a few wins under your belt man it feels really good and then there starts to get to be that transition where you know you go from may to june and and everybody else is outside and they're enjoying things and you've you've been working you know like two straight weeks or two and a half straight weeks. And you got two off days on the calendar for the month. And then it's like, man, that's okay, boy, we're going to get, we need to get picked back up again. And then right after the all-star break, you're, you're kind of like, okay, this is good. And then the dog days of summer in August, those are tough, man. Like the, those are tough because it's not just the physical part of being at a ballpark, right? We spend a lot of time at work. There's also the constant pressure to keep coming up with storylines, Right. So the real stress is what am I going to talk about today? And when you have that over and over and there's people who whose jobs, it, it's the producer's jobs to come up with ideas. But we also have to come up with ideas and execute. It's way different if you show up and everything is just handed to you on a plate or a script and says, here, read this. But that's not the way TV works. That's not the way regional sports networks work. Right. And so it's as much the mental grind of, oh my gosh, I feel like I've already told this story four times this year, but this is the thing that we need to talk about right now. How can I make this different? How can I make it better? That's really the, the stress that we go through more than you're just tired of being in a ballpark. No, that definitely makes sense. And I remember asking uh, Rick Riz that I was like, hey, you know, how do you combat hitting a wall? And, you know, it's, it's really interesting to see how, you know, you have to go against that because 162 games, I know, you know, like you said, you have to figure out, hey, what are we going to talk about today? So it's definitely because I'm sure, like you said, you know, I'm talking about this, you know, for I don't know how many times. So I'm sure it gets tiring and it's really interesting to see how you can combat that. You, you touched on interviews a little bit in the last question. 
do you have a current uh, of the current roster right now, a favorite player to interview? And would it be Julio Rodriguez by chance? <laughs> well, Julio is always enjoyable. I do enjoy talking to Julio Rodriguez. If we had to go current roster, if we're going, are we going current 40 man? Sure. Yeah. You know, I would actually say this is a surprising one. Cal Raleigh is one of my mm. favorites. Yeah, Cal Raleigh is one of my favorites. He's going to be, he is the catcher of the future. And so it's good when you see him relate, but he's got a very dry sense of humor and a mm. way to relate to people. And um, it's been fun to watch him open up and to like to step into a larger role. And I just had some funny moments in spring training when he was answering questions that I thought were pretty enjoyable that fans would like. So that would be one that flies a little bit under the radar. But man, we've got some good personalities on the team. I mean, how do you not like Kyle Lewis or Evan White? Tom Murphy is great to go to after games. There's some pretty good ones out there. It always seems like at least through the time I remember, because I was born in 2001, so I didn't get to really experience, you know, that experience. But, you know, um, getting to personally meet Kyle Lewis, I'll never take that for granted. That was pretty cool. That was end of 2019 season. Obviously, as 2020, you're like, wow, you know, but, you know, off the field, so many personalities have gone through this, you know, clubhouse. I can remember, you know, guys like Tom Wilhelmson, you know, just different faces that are, you know, necessarily may not have stuck around the entire time, but guys that were always, Hey, it was enjoyable to see them in a Mariners uniform. So to kind of stick on that topic of interviews, do you have a favorite all time Mariner that you've interviewed uh, in your tenure here? If you had to pick one, I'm not going to say favorite Mariner. I will say favorite interview. Mm. My favorite interview of all time is Felix Hernandez after his perfect game. I had to, I had to, I had to bring this one up. I had to bring that up and display that because I figured that would be a topic to speak on uh, a little bit. And I have to ask, this is, this normally would have been a little bit further down the list. Um, you know, you were the first person to speak with them after that perfect game, if I'm mm -hmm. correct. Mm -hmm. What, what are you thinking about when you go up and you get to speak with Felix? I'm sure he's pumped up. He's excited. The whole ballpark's excited. You know, the players are excited. How do you, you got to, and, and I'm sure you're a little bit excited as well, you know, so how do you keep things together and you, you have to, you know, you have to speak with them, you know, how is, how is that process? There's two parts to this story. Yes, I was excited, but what most people don't remember, that was the year of a lot of no hitters. So when we yes. talk about Felix's perfect game, we forget that there'd been a combined no hitter at the ballpark in June. I covered the combined no hitter during the combined no hitter. It kind of snuck up on everybody because again, it took six pitchers to do that. Right. And I go down to do post-game interviews and everybody's celebrating. And I was a little bit late in, in formulating the questions, but I was excited to have seen a no hitter in person. And just about every single one of my questions was, Oh my gosh, how cool is this? How does this feel? Not exactly like that, but it was, essentially the same thing I was saying over and over again, emotion got the best of me. And I got home that night and I, they replayed the, the game in the interviews and, you know, the post game show. And I just thought 
you know, you just blew it, Jen. Like that was terrible. There, you should never, how do you think it feels after a no hitter, right? Like, do you think they're going to say anything other than awesome? Like you just ruined your chance to do great interviews with all these guys because I was so caught up in the emotion of the moment. So when Felix threw his perfect game and you could see this coming throughout the game, seventh inning, I sat down and I started making my list. I still have the scorecard. I still have the list of questions. And I was very cognizant of how much of a missed opportunity I'd already experienced. And I knew that at the end of a perfect game, it wasn't just people in Seattle watching. MLB Network was going to take it and everybody was going to be watching to see what Felix said. And I wanted to make sure that I got the questions right. And I wanted to make sure that I gave Felix the best opportunity to tell the story. What I was really thinking though, when I walked out onto the field, I knew that I was prepared. I had the questions. I wasn't going to screw that part up. Felix and I had had a small falling out in spring training that year. We had patched things up and it was kind of the joke between us of what happens if you ever throw a perfect game. Would you talk to me? And I think you could also see the perfect game coming for Felix for about the last five outings before that. Hmm. And when I went onto the field and we looked each other in the eye, there was that moment of um, friendship, forgiveness. There was just a lot in there. It was special for him. And I, I can't imagine it being more special for anybody, right, than Felix. It was an incredibly special moment for me, given what had happened between us and given how that entire year had gone. So that is my favorite interview of all time. It's always really cool to hear about Felix. You know, I remember I wasn't there for that game, um, but I remember being there for his final game, his final, uh, you know, the game that he pitched in and just, you know, so many emotions and someone who just, who will always be remembered here in Seattle. Um, so you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier about, you know, the frustrations of not reaching the postseason. What are your thoughts on the current state of these guys? Cause I always get really excited just thinking about, you know, like you mentioned Cal Raleigh catch of the future. I remember uh, on our, on my weekly show with the guys that I do uh, we looked at pitchers and catchers last, Oh, two weeks ago. Um, and I was really intrigued with Cal Raleigh. Um, but just looking at the other whole slate of young guys that we got, I mean, a guy that I'm really excited about, even from when we got him from San Diego with Taylor Trammell, uh, what are your thoughts on this current group of guys um, and what, what kind of uh, group that they are and what they're, what they're building? Well, I think they are building a really talented group of players. I mean, you've got guys with great personalities. You've got guys that have overcome obstacles that have that extra grit and that it factor. And that's really important. And I really try not to predict too far into the future because so many different things can happen. And I think this is going to be the year to figure out how things ended up affecting them from 2020, right? Because even though you have Kyle Lewis and Evan White, who came and really had a great year, there's no reason to think that they're not going to be great players for a long time. And a shortened season, it just feels different, right? You don't have 
yeah, every game matters a little bit more, but also you don't really have an opportunity to go on an 0 for 21 streak and then figure out how to pull yourself out of it and then go on another 0 for 14 and then figure out how to pull yourself out of it. There's still a really big learning curve for these guys. Now, the flip side of that is these guys have had to overcome adversity as a group right? Going through COVID protocols, or if you were at the alternate training site in Tacoma, you had conversations and guys at the alternate training site, Cal Raleigh, Logan Gilbert, Jared Kelnick, all those guys, they did the best they could to train for baseball. It was not anywhere close to what they would have gotten in a normal year. But they also got a chance to see guys who had played in the big leagues and talk to them every day. And there was a lot more movement up and down. And there is no way Julio Rodriguez ever would have met those guys, right? There's no way Jared Kelnick was going to talk to those guys all year long because he wouldn't have been in a position where you had big leaguers on the roster every day where he had started out. So I do think that there's some benefits on that front. I think these guys are hungry to prove that they can do it. And I think they really want to give Seattle a championship, but I think it's probably still going to take another couple of years because that's just the way it goes with development. Yep. Oh yeah. That's something that, you know, I, I kind of, I know I've only been alive since 2001. So I know people have that experience of before that, but I'm like, Hey, you know, these guys, it, it, it won't turn on right away. There are things that happen, like you said, in development where they, you know, obviously I'm sure there are some cases where that might be different, um, but things don't just click like that. And especially I'm sure not after a season like 2020. So, you know, I, I am very excited for what's coming, but I know that at the same time you have to kind of, you know, pace yourself and not run before you walk. Um, I'm going to change back now. I don't know why I had this one on first because I had the Mariners listed first, but Getting into the football club, ooh, football team. I don't want to say football club. Get that confused with soccer. What was your opening of the door moment for the Seahawks? Because you mentioned, you know, Root Sports. Seahawks not necessarily, obviously, with Root Sports. How does that come to fruition? So my former colleague at King Five had left King. Her name was Akimi Takei, and she was the sideline reporter for the Seahawks. And I just happened to mention when I had gone over to Fox at the time and I was, I loved football. We used to do preseason games and we used to do preseason football shows and the Sean Alexander show was on our air. And then we did a show with Josh Brown, the kicker. So we had some ties to the Seahawks. We were producing content that was Seahawks related. So I would go out to Seahawks practices and press conferences, but I happened to mention after watching Akimi do this, and I thought, you know, if that job ever comes open, I'd like a chance to audition for it. You know, like, I'm not interested in taking the job from Akimi. She's got it. She's doing a killer job. But if the job ever comes open, I would like to, to interview and be considered. Mm-hmm. And so I met the person who was in charge of the broadcast team. And I said that to him while standing at practice. And I said that to him every single year at training camp for six years. I said that to him Every time I would meet him during the course of the year, I showed up everywhere he looked because I had the media credentials to get in there. So practices, press conferences, games, I stood in the rain. I would go everywhere. I paid to go to training camp. I used my vacation days when training camp was in Cheney to go over there and work so that I could get FaceTime with everybody. So when the job actually came open, And Akemi decided her husband calls play-by-play for the Utah Jazz. So they moved to Utah. 
and the job came open. They asked if I would like to audition for the job, which of course I said yes. But I also am fairly certain that half of the people in the building thought I already worked for the team because I was there all the time. But it was pretty easy to nail that audition because I already knew the players. I knew the coaches. I knew the strategy. I knew what they were talking about. I wasn't jumping into anything. It was just a continuation of the conversations that I'd been having for six years. So um, there wasn't one moment. It was just the decision to keep showing up when it didn't look like it was paying off. Right. I, I was showing up and then I would go and work my eight to 10 hour days. Right. This was in addition to doing all the other things that I was doing. And so there wasn't an obvious payoff for five and a half years. Right. And then you go, well, do I really need to go out to this game? Like I could be doing something else this, you know, this day or this day, or I could just skip this. And it was really the decision, just keep doing it and acting as if I already had that job Mm -hmm. and treating it with that much importance, even though on the surface, it didn't seem like it mattered. It's definitely interesting to see how that's more of a slow buildup, you know, and then eventual payoff as compared to, hey, you know, I'm applying to something. No, that took obviously a lot more time than just an application. Um, So speaking on that and being in the building, as comparing to being across the the street with now T-Mobile Park, what does a Seahawks game day look like for you? How, and how different would that be? Yeah, it's still a really long day. I mean, we don't just show up at game time. I'm usually there three hours before a game, three and a half hours before a game. My prep work has been done throughout the week, right? So every morning you still read all of the clips, articles that get sent to you. You are studying giant books. On a game day when I'm doing sidelines, I've printed off at least three pages of my own notes. And when I print off notes, I print them off in a way that I could use them on the air, which is 15 second hits, right? I don't get to talk for more than seconds, generally ever during the middle of a game. So when I go through and I'm studying and I'm taking interviews and tidbits that players have given me, I write them down in three sentence, two to three sentence nuggets. Now I have those notes in front of me on game day. But it's a little bit like taking an open book test, Mm. right? In that when the time comes to use that nugget, you do not have time to look for it, right? You have to be able to tell the guy upstairs, I got that, come down to me and then just be able to say it. So prepping for a, a Seahawks game is a little different you have to memorize a little bit more. It moves faster for me in game than Mm -hmm. if I were, you know, keeping score in a press box, watching a Mariners game. And then you're just dealing with post-game stuff. Right. Um, But I'll do that. I'll do pre-game show. It usually takes me about an hour post-game to get all of the interviews together. And then I hang out for another 30 minutes or so, making sure that everything's done and go home. So if we had a one o'clock game at Lumen Field, I would probably be there at about 10 o'clock and I would probably get home at about 5.30 or six. So a little bit shorter days, but still long compared to what a game day would be for a fan. And then, so you speak about, you know, how things go a little bit faster on the field. And I want to kind of look at this in relation to, you know, speaking with Felix after his perfect game. I don't however you want to call it, whatever nickname you want to give it, the game against Green Bay, you know, uh, Golden Tate catches that ball, mm-hmm. you know, simultaneous possession, however you want to debate into it. It's happened. It's gone. The team's completely different now. Um, what was that situation like? Because, you know, you mentioned about, you know, how you would feel like had patched things up and it was sort of, you know, a, a, a nice kind of moment. 
well, you know, this, this was pretty chaotic because, you know, we're working with <laughs> replacement refs at the time. And, you know, I remember this game specifically because I was in California and my father had turned the game off because the things weren't really going well. I mean, the defense is playing well. Offense couldn't get things going. I think I, I know neither team scored 20 points. I don't think, you know, um, how does that, you know, what, what was that moment like with Golden Tate after that catch and how do things go for you in that moment? Yeah, that was an interesting one. And I'm looking to see, I actually have the picture. It's a little bit hidden, but there's a picture behind me that is golden and I after that game and my arm is locked into his. So as a football official, if you rule that a simultaneous catch, it goes to the offense. Yep. I know that because I screwed up that call in one of my first high school games that I worked. So I'm looking at that on the sidelines as a football official and I'm watching the official closest to me start to go up. And I know that if they call it a simultaneous possession, that it's going to go to the offense. So I am running across the field to get to golden. Now that play was reviewed and there was still like a half second on the clock. I am digging into the pile. He is surrounded by people. I find him and I lock arms with him. The game technically isn't over, but all of the cameras are around. And I know that I'm going to have to talk to him. He tried to shake me off. He couldn't figure out what was going on. And then he turned and he looked at who it was. And then he, he kind of actually brought my arm closer to his body so that I wasn't going to get knocked off. The interesting thing was I didn't realize how big of a controversy it was until I got outside the locker room Mm. on the field. We don't have replays like that. I mean, you do, but you only have the replays that are happening in the stadium. You're not listening to the Fox crew call the game or the Monday night crew call the game. You're not hearing the announcers, the national announcers saying that was a terrible call. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. I'm not sitting in a press box, listening to the media react. I'm looking at one guy on the field and I'm focused on where is that ball? Where is his hands? Where are, where are his feet? I don't remember the questions that I asked after that one. I remember knowing that I just had to get there and do that. And that was one of the first games that I had ever worked on oh, the sidelines. Um, that was 09, right? Uh, I think it was 12. Because I think that was Russell's first that wasn't year. T- Oh, you know what? Maybe it was 12. That's right. Maybe it was. I'm thinking of a different one that happened. And there was another moment in 09. Anyway, um, I knew that I had to get that interview and then to kind of like rethink things when I got to the locker room was interesting because now you're trying to balance. Okay. What do, what did I see? What did they see? What's happening? What's reaction from fans? Because if fans have certain questions, I have to kind of ask those on behalf of the Mm. fans. Right. So now I have to get into a different mindset when I'm asking the questions. It was, yeah, no, it was really interesting to see that happen because I had no idea that night, anything happened. We go to lunch the next morning, next morning, next day. And on the TVs, that's all they were talking about. The same replay over. I've probably yeah. seen that replay so many times. You know, I'm sure you have too. But, you know, for years and years, that was always a thing. But when I heard about simultaneous possession, I was like, okay, so that should kind of rule anything else out. But obviously that is done in a way. In well, the- yeah, you had some communication breakdowns there, right? You had, you had officials who hadn't worked together who didn't actually know proper mechanics for officiating, and that caused a lot of problems. But that's neither here nor there. Oh, yeah. And I mean, obviously, there are certain 
uh, other memorable moments against that franchise. You know, there's so many times mm-hmm. against the Packers. I mean, sheesh, but that was something that, you know, it's like, that's always something that I'm going to be remembering. I'm going to remember um, taking it to this year. Obviously a lot's happened, you know, since the Super Bowl in relation to this team, you know, Russell making it clear. He's like, Hey, I don't want to get hit as much, you know, acquiring Gabe Jackson, bringing in a couple of guys, not sure about KJ Wright at the moment. Um, Bruce Irvin, uh, I don't know if it, he made it official official, but he kind of hinted at retiring. What are your thoughts on the current state of the Seahawks and what we're looking at, you know, this upcoming season? Well, I think the Seahawks are still very well positioned to be a great team. Um, you know, I, I think they've made their moves in a year where you don't know what talent is coming out of college. Yeah. I think they are pretty comfortable with who they have. And I think they were pretty um, clear in how they approached veterans, right? Knowing that last year was hard, this year isn't going to be that much easier. Even if protocols are lifted, which goodness, I hope by football season they are, but you're still adjusting to a lot of new things, Um you know, I think that the Seahawks are well positioned. The offensive line, look, that's been a conversation for as long as I've been here. Um, they're still pretty stout and they can still give a quarterback a lot of time to throw. I think the defense is still really good and I don't think they're done adding to the defense. And I think that it leaves a bad taste in your mouth the way that the season ended last year when you you just thought that there was a little bit more in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that there's any reason to panic or think that there's a rebuild in the future for the Seahawks. There's no reason to rebuild when you have a franchise quarterback and when you have as much talent on both sides of the ball as they do. I think, I think you really did a good job of putting into words there. I thought something I've always communicated with my father was when you've got Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, on that team with, you know, obviously their talent, but their leadership, you're not going to be in any sort of bad situation necessarily season wise. Um, obviously, you know, like you said, the offensive line has been a thing throughout the whole season that's been an issue, but uh, throughout the whole season, pardon me, throughout, you know, for years uh, that's been talked about. And, but, you know, I think going into the off season, I was looking at left guard because Mikey Potty stepped down and retired and then center because we didn't know what Ethan Pochich was going to do because his contract was up. And obviously they addressed left guard. Um, Ooh, shoot. I actually might've read that Gabe Jackson plays right guard and they might have to move Damian Lewis. They'll move him over to the left. Either way, you know, you've got two good guards. Brandon Shell played well. Dwayne Brown is Dwayne Brown, you know? So I think that's a solid group. And, you know, you've got Daryl Taylor coming back this year, hopefully uh, having to deal with this leg injury. Like you said, I don't think there's anything really to panic about at the moment. There are things to address. I'm sure you could say, but I don't think there's any reason to hit the alarm. Uh, I'm going to move into sort of not necessarily team related things. Uh, What led up to establishing, pardon me, establishing talk sport to me. How did that come to be? What were, what were the steps for that? Honestly, that one was an accident. And somebody asked me to talk about the value of being a sports fan in business. And I realized that that was something that could actually benefit a lot of different people. And um, I liked the idea of being a presenter and a trainer and a keynote speaker. And, and so I started to 
to go down that road. And then you find out, well, you have to have a way for people to contact you. So you need a website, but if you're going to have a website, then you have to have a company name. And if you're going to have a company name, then you need to trademark it and you need to have a logo and you need to have colors and you need to have branding. Then you need to start filing your taxes like that. And then there's just a whole bunch of things and you, you just, you just start and you figure out what the next logical step is. So um, it was an accident when it began it is very intentional now on how I grow it. And I enjoy having a creative outlet to deliver content, to give you a different spin on business communication. I like the challenge of having to go out and be my own salesperson and do my own marketing stuff. And, and uh, it's just a, a different way to keep me engaged with stuff that I'm already doing, communicating and talking about sports. I just found a different avenue to be able to talk about those things. Very interesting to hear about, uh, you know, how that came to be, and then as well as uh, officiating and how, you know, might not have been intentional at the time, but hey, they worked out, Mm -hmm. you know, so can't complain about that, how that comes to be. Um, So I read a little bit about you and working with the storm. How much, uh, what, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, it's been a long time. That was one of the things that Fox Sports used to have as well. I skipped that when I went through all the, the teams that we used to have. We used to have the Storm. Um, so Lauren Jackson and Sue Bird were big back then. Um, and it, it it is really fun to watch women's basketball. And it was fun to do sidelines for basketball. And I did them for the Storm. And I did some for the Sonics as well. And it's amazing to me looking back to see that Sue Bird is still playing. And, um, and just to think about the impact that Lauren Jackson had on the community and that team in general and how, um, just how that franchise has managed to win so many times during the course of the year. Yeah. The, or during the course of their, um, franchise history. It's, uh, it's pretty impressive. I wish we had those games still. And I wish I had an excuse to go down and talk to those gals because they are amazing athletes. By the time that this one goes out, um, I spoke with Jewel Lloyd last week, which was pretty cool. Um, but it's it's always something to me that, you know, you got a team that won four titles to this point. You kind of got to talk to them. And sometimes it seems like they kind of don't get spoken about, talked about, pardon me. Um, and I think that's a little disappointing sometimes just because, I mean, you win, you're one of, you could argue they're the most successful team. I'm sure you could put them away as the most successful team four titles. I mean, come on. Um, but they did really excellent work and, uh, seeing them, uh, just doing things in the community. Obviously they have the mural, uh, on the Toulouse, uh, Toulouse house, I believe is the restaurant. Um, and having a climate pledge arena now can't call it key arena anymore getting redone. It's, uh, it's a really interesting time. Obviously the rebrand now too. Uh, they're always really fun to be around. Like you said, fun to watch and, uh, yeah, it's, it was cool to hear that, you know, you'd like to have them, you know, be able to go and speak with them, but I'm sure you got, you know, a decent amount on your plate right now. Um, but, you know, when, when they come back, obviously they've been playing in Everett and uh, at UW while they've been working on the stadium. It'll be exciting to get back in the, back in the stadium, uh, back in the arena, watching them play. Um, at this stage in your career, you know, what, what motivates you to continue to, get better and continue to work on yourself and continue to grow things. Like you said, with talk sporty to me, what, what is the motivator there? Uh, and has that changed uh, at all, if at all, since when you first started? 
Well, sure. Because when you first start, your motivation is to get to whatever you think your dream job is, right? And so, you know, you've got your head down and, and you're taking whatever you can get and you're doing all these crazy jobs and you're working nutty hours. Um, and then one day you look up and you realize, oh, I, I am actually in my dream job or I didn't even dream that this was possible. So, you know, you kind of feel like you've made it, but you know that what got you there doesn't keep you there. So it's pretty easy to stay motivated in sports, especially when I work around the most talented people in the world at what they do. It's hard to walk into the Seahawks locker room and think that you're going to be the slouch when you recognize how talented all these guys are around me, right? Um, And there's always something that you can do better. And things change. The way that people hear information changes. The way that I tell stories changes based on my um, life experiences and based on, you know, who I've talked to in the past. So there's always something that you could do better in an interview or what I'm producing Mariners All Access. I've reinvented that show at least four times because you can't keep doing the same thing over and over again. And I get bored if I was doing that, much less the viewers getting bored with that. For Talk Sporty, you know, eventually that'll be the thing that I do one day when I'm done with TV or when I'm done with broadcasting. It'll be my own company. And so there's a lot of motivation to make sure that things are in place and that, you know, there's clients in the pipeline and that I'm not waiting until I think I need that, but that it's there for me and I can cultivate those relationships and I can do the work that needs to be done now so that I can set myself up for whatever it is that comes next. With that time in sports broadcasting, you know, what are some things that you've learned about yourself over that time? Cause I'm sure, like you said, you got to keep things new. You got to, you know, continue to work and get better. What have you, what would you say that you've learned about yourself over, you know, your time in this industry? That ideas don't just stop. One of the, one of the stresses is, can I keep doing this? And it's not, can I keep showing up and, you know, can I keep talking to people? I can keep talking to people, but can I keep it interesting? Will I have another good idea? Will I be able to do that interview as good as I did it a year ago? Will anything ever top this show that won an Emmy? Um, And there's a little bit of a fear, right? Once, once you get to a level of success, or you think it's success, or that's success for you, there's a little bit of a fear of, can I do that again, right? What happens? What happens if I can't be creative? What happens if I can't write? And I have learned that it, it is there. I know how to tap into that. I also know that I don't have to work 12 and 14 hour days to do a good job. Sometimes that is what it takes. Um, but I know the difference between doing a great job and unnecessarily maxing my maxing out resources. Mm. There's no reason to do that. And there's plenty of opportunities to do that working in this industry. And at some point, you just have to walk away and say, you know what? This is good enough today, right? It might be my 90%, but 90% is good enough today. Because if you don't, you will burn yourself out. And I have seen a lot of people leave the industry because they burnt themselves out. And some of it at the beginning is necessary, but there's a point in time where you have to realize it's not just the work that you're doing, it's who you are, it's how you show up, it's the relationships that you're building, it's the people that you're helping. That takes on a greater focus now than it it did early on when it was just head down and let's grind this thing out. Certainly interesting to hear that because, you know, like 
like you said with you know working with the mariners you can't let it sort of consume you i guess that those long days and just letting things say hey you know i don't know what i'm going to talk about today so it's definitely interesting to see that because i don't know maybe some fans don't think about that it's just oh you know jen mueller's got something else to talk for me to uh, listen to today you don't really maybe necessarily think oh what time got put into that you know right and I, w- I would say this, I know that I can be creative and do that because I am prepared because there isn't a day going that goes by that I'm not reading articles or that I'm not thinking about it or studying it. I do not put off something that can be done today until tomorrow because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. A news conference, somebody could be traded. I, I could need to do something that's crazy, but I still have to get something on the air. So all of that, it's not just, oh, I'm going to show up and it's going to happen. I spend a lot of time preparing for that so that when I'm actually in that moment, it can happen because I'm not thinking about the 20 other things, right? Just staying ready so you don't have to get ready. Well, there you go. That's a good adage. Yep. Definitely, definitely. I think that I think that would show in your work. I definitely think that, you know, you're you're prepared. And that's, you know, like you said, I think I read that uh I don't remember specifically what it was from, but uh, you said it was it was pretty clear when someone tries to wing things instead of being mm-hmm. prepared for it. So, you know, I definitely I think you put uh, that was really well stated. So this is I'm going to transition to a new segment. I haven't done this with any other interview yet. So you're the first that I'm going to do this with new thing. OK, I try to add new things. Uh, just, you know, a little uh, not necessarily uh, too in detail, but just some quick um putting you on the spot here fast favorite. rapid fire huh yeah, okay almost like a lightning round uh okay. favorite breakfast food cinnamon rolls mm, okay favorite game day meal omelet uh favorite current mariners uniform i like the throwback ones mm. i like our sunday uh, i like our that's not like a bad Sunday ones. Choice. It's just a little different. Yeah. Uh, favorite Pacific Northwest restaurant. Oh man, Jack's. Mm, okay. Okay. Favorite Pacific Northwest scenic site. The view of Seattle from West Seattle. That that's pretty good. I like that one too. Uh, favorite sport? Well, you have to be a little bit more specific to play, to cover, Ooh, to good, broadcast. Good, good point. Uh, to play. I still think I could hoop. I don't, but I still think I could. Uh, favorite Seattle athlete? Oh, current. You can't do that to me. That's like asking somebody to pick like their favorite child or something. <laughs> if they heard that, I would be in so much trouble. Uh-oh, I don't want to put you on the spot that bad. Okay. You, I'd have you to want... pick like five of them or oh, something. If you, if you got five names to throw out, I'd more than be happy with five names. I'd have to go. I mean, I've got guys in that Seahawks locker room that I've been with for a long time. You'd have to put Bobby at the top of that list. Bobby, KJ. Those are probably my longest tenured ones now. Dwayne's up there. Yeah, those are pretty good. 
And you know what? Kyle Seeger has been around longer than any of those Mariners. And we go back to his rookie rookie um, debut and his first call up. So I'll say that. And then do you have a favorite stadium in Seattle to work in? You know, Lumen Field and T-Mobile are pretty nice. They're, pretty, <laughs> they're, pretty both nice pretty, they're both pretty nice. I don't know that I would want to choose one over the other on that one. They're they're pretty good. I think I think we're pretty blessed with the two stadiums that we've got. Because um, at least for me, you know, being to – I haven't been to any other football, any other NFL stadium, but ballparks, you know, uh, I've been to Fenway and uh, Petco Park's pretty nice, but – uh, I feel like with the Mariners, they do a good job of keeping it updated, with, whether it's food or fan entertainment. And I haven't even seen what they've done on the third deck yet. I know that they were working on that in 2020. So I'm excited to get back to there. But um, I really appreciate having you on and just being able to learn from you. You know, uh, you've been a constant, like you said, you know, with the other broadcasters, you've been a constant for me in Seattle sports. So when I think about either of these logos, you know, a name that's going to pop up is yours. So I want to thank you. Is there anything that you want to, you know, promote or push out there uh, while I've got you on here or is uh, we've, have we already kind of spoken on them? You know, you've covered a lot of it. If people want to know how I formulate the questions that I ask on post-game interviews, you can find that on the, on the new video series at talksporty2me.com. It is called Asking Better Questions. You can find it on the offers page or right at the very top of the homepage, you can click the button and it'll take you there and you can uh, go through the process and check it out. I think uh, I'll go and I'll, I'll link that for you just so. Perfect. There. I want to thank you. Uh, certainly some exciting seasons coming up. I know we already kind of talked about it, but I want to thank you for coming on and um, just thank you for your time. Sure thing. Happy to join. Baba Bowie.